into a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And today I am especially excited to be speaking with Katie Hornaday, who's the Chief Creative Officer at Barclay. Katie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Two Katie's. Yeah, I was going to say two Katie's, but you're a Y Katie and I'm an IE Katie. I used to be an IE. I was born an IE and then I changed it in first grade. What? I decided IE was so kindergarten, rebranded myself. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you should say that because when I graduated from college, my grandmother said to me, you should change your name to Kate. And she started to trying to get people to call me Kate, which of course nobody, I think Kate is like taller and slimmer and so it didn't work. (laughs) Well, Going back, not as far as uh, kindergarten and first grade, but can we talk a little bit about, you know, your career journey and how you got to the position that you're in now? Yeah. Um, so in its shortest, fastest way possible, um, I was a junior in high school. Someone came into my journalism class, uh, another woman who said that she was going to portfolio school. And I immediately went home and like on my dial-up modem, you know, looked into what is this portfolio school thing? And that was the minute that I fell in love with the idea of a career and like creativity and and making ads. And so I was like, okay, like very type A planner of me said, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to portfolio school. And then I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to like become a creative director in New York City. And I'm (laughs) I went as far as to say, like, I was going to like have test tube babies and like this whole creative plan of how I was going to be this independent woman who was going to be um, in New York City. And I got about halfway through that plan. But so I I went to University of Missouri. I went to the creative circus. Coming out of the circus, I went to Crispin Porter and Bogusky in Boulder. That's really where I fell in love with um, making things and making things outside of the traditional realm and um, all of that. And from there, I went on to Mullen in Boston. And that's where I fell in love with building things and being part of um, building an agency and sort of um, figuring out how to, to create a new legacy. And then we had our daughter and my husband and I knew that we wanted to be closer to our village, but also knew that we wanted to keep pursuing our careers. And so that's when we found Barkley. And so that was 12 years ago. And I came here as an ACD and um, I worked really hard and uh, I kept working really hard. And eventually I went from ACD to CD eventually um, seven years ago, becoming the head of the department as ECD and then becoming the chief creative officer just a few years ago. So, and it's been an amazing journey. That That is wonderful. But, you know, you rose to a leadership position quite quickly. How How was that for you? Did you feel ready? I mean, I don't know if anyone ever feels ready, but did you? I felt extra unready. Um, in fact, when I was asked by Jeff and Dan, our CEO and president, um, you know, what did I want to do? This was right after I'd had my son. So um, about seven years ago, what did I want to do? And I said, eventually I want to run the department, but like not now, someone else is running the department. Definitely not now. And in my brain, that timeline was about five years from that conversation. And instead, about two weeks later, they approached me and said, we think you're ready to do it now. So are you ready to do it now? And I felt immense imposter syndrome. I felt unbelievably insecure. I felt overwhelmed in a way I had never felt in my life. Um, And I lived by the mantra of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And so that's sort of just the way that I I went about building um, a department that today I'm really proud to lead. So just sort of like making changes here and 
um, implementing philosophies there and really, you know, building something that we're not finished building, but something that I think we've come a long way with. And you've built a really significant department, right? How many people when you started to today? Um, it was about 45 folks initially, and it's about 180 today. It's amazing. And you're, you work with some terrific brand. So you are a woman and you're young. And you mentioned imposter syndrome when you were, you know, when you were starting out. But have you found that being either or both of those things has affected how you lead? Um, yeah. You know, I would say... I feel less young every day. I used to be significantly <laughs> the youngest person in every room and that's shifted, but I guess that's a good thing. Um, you know, I would say that one, I think being a woman in this industry at the time that I was a woman in this industry was a huge benefit to me, actually. I, I look back on my career and I worked with a lot of men that were really supportive of me and in fact, gave me at back sooner than normal and put me into rooms and in front of clients faster because they needed diverse voices in the rooms. And as long as I could prove myself, um, they let me keep coming into the room. And I think that really, really benefited me. Um, but then when I became a leader and was leading other people, I think one, it was kind of my superpower because I, you know, I operated from a space of being a little bit more um, emotionally connected to the people that. I lead and um, I sort of did it my own way. And I kind of, you know, I often talk about building a department of folks who have each other's backs and, you know, a little bit more of a familial way. But I also would say along that journey, it can often feel like you're not doing it the right way because you've never seen someone lead that way. Um, it can feel like you question yourself and your intuition a lot because it doesn't look like the leaders that you've had in your career. And so that can get really tricky. So no, I'm curious. So you were very lucky to have people that were supporting you that you were working for. But, you know, I know for myself, I've been in situations over the years and, you know, no need to name anything specific. But have you been in situations where you felt challenged or, or not heard due to the fact that you're a woman? And then if so, what did you do about it? Um, I won't name names, but I will tell you, I can specifically look back on one moment in my career where I was, um, I was tapped to be the creative director of a brand that decidedly did not, uh, target women. And the CEO straight up called the CEO of my agency and said, she's not the one to lead this account. She doesn't know anything about this target audience. And the way that I dealt with that was, First of all, my CEO backed me up and said, she's the one who's going to do it and she's going to be great at it. And then I just put my head down and kept working until I proved him wrong. And in fact, he had to call my CEO a year later and say, I was wrong. I was wrong about her and I was wrong about the way that she leads work. And, um, you know, I know that that's a privilege even to just have somebody in your corner enough to say, she's going to be the one who delivers on it and you just have to wait and see. But in general... I have felt really empowered in rooms and I have felt like I'm a very direct communicator. I don't really pull a lot of punches. I'll tell you what's on my mind. Um, and I think the organizations that I've been in, that's benefited me. I haven't really been in a lot of spaces where politics was a big piece of um, how you got ahead. 
And so speaking my mind and sort of um, asserting myself has been a great asset. That, that, that is wonderful and good to hear. And progress has been made. And this is my last sort of question in this vein. But, you know, I remember when Kat Gordon started the 3% conference and it seemed like everything was going to change. And while it has progressed, the, you know, the ratio of male to female chief creative officers and lead creative directors is not at all equal. Why do you think that? But we all probably know why. Maybe a better uh, question is, how can that change? Yeah, um, I totally agree. You know, I've attended the 3% conference a number of times. We've done different initiatives with them. And I think sometimes you can get in a little echo chamber and believe that it's getting better. And then sometimes you pick your head up and you go, oh, wait, a lot of this industry is still the way that it was. And it's hard because... Um, I also think sometimes the old guard doesn't want to believe that they're the old guard. Yeah. You know, they want to say like, we're evolved and we're totally different. And, you know, we want to empower all the voices, but I, I think sometimes they don't know what they don't know. Um, and I think it can be really hard to be a female because we lead differently because we look at situations differently. Um, and because sometimes we're navigating other things in our life, not everyone, but you know, it's hard to like be a mom. And be on zero sleep and trying to wake up and come up with all the best ideas and prove that you're super committed to your career and not feel like you're letting your family down. And I think the same thing can be said for dad too. But I think the way that we change it is, you know, I try really hard to like mentor the women who are in my direct sphere of influence. So I started something in the last couple of years where every year we sort of identify promising women in the department and I, as the chief creative officer, mentor them month in and month out. So I meet with them every month and we don't talk about um, anything other than what they need to feel supported or how to troubleshoot something that they're up against. I don't get into the, the weeds of their team and manage anything for them. I just try to back them up and give them tools and encourage them on what really makes them special and to lean into that with confidence. and. I think that's helping a lot. I think it's like finding ways to help more women and more people with diverse voices feel empowered enough and to understand their value. And that can start, but it's not the whole solution. I think if we knew the one silver bullet, we wouldn't be in this situation. <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, a big part of it has been, at least historically, that uh, women who are mothers, especially, and not only, have a lot of other places they want to be and commitments. And you're right, this goes for dad too, but this is a show, Katie, with <laughs> women. So we're going to stick to the mother part of it. But, you know, I know, and I know you have thoughts about returning to the office and I want to kind of combine that and ask, you know, how as a woman, you know, how as a woman can you not be consumed by your job 24 seven? And this is really for other women. Um, and yet still have a really strong career? I find myself super lucky because I think the career I've chosen is so much a part of who I am. And it's so much a part of what fulfills me on the, you know, the other side of my human equation. So being a mom is one piece of that, but being a chief creative officer or being a creative is sort of the other piece of what makes me me. And I even see that my kids see that. And so I actually think 
you know, finding the way to lean into my career that makes me a better mom has been a piece of, of it for me. This is like a funny little anecdote, but I randomly ordered a sweatshirt um, that showed up last night. And the back of it says, aspire to retire. Just this like funny little like easygoing sweatshirt. And um, my son, who is seven, saw that. And he said, what does that sweatshirt say? And I said, it says aspire to retire. And he goes, you want to retire from your super awesome job? Like, what a funny way for my kids to not see my job as something that takes me away from them, but something that they think is really special about me. And that doesn't mean that every day it's perfect. And it doesn't mean that I haven't had to miss things um, you know, in the past in order to be there for my job. But I think if I always put it through the lens of like, whatever I'm doing, I'm showing up for them. And someday showing up for them means being at a soccer game. And some days it means, you know, like planning a, a birthday party, but some days it also means going to my job because it, it shows them that you could have a career that you love and something that inspires you and fulfills you. And, um, that you can have multiple dimensions to these people who you call parents. So and I feel, you know, years ago, I used to always ask people, how do you balance it all? And so many people, so many women hated that phrase. I still like it, but they felt it was something that they had to sort of aspire to. But maybe the answer is you don't really. It's not balanced, but it's just wherever it is in that moment or that day or that week. Well, just I always loved in, instead of balance, it's juggle, right? Mm-hmm just like you get better at juggling and you recognize that there are sometimes that there's a ball on the ground, but you got to pick that one up next. And, um, nothing's ever like in perfect alignment, but I even think, you know, the return to office thing, you brought that up and, you know, it makes me just think about our jobs and advertising in general, in general, our jobs and advertising, at least at any agency I've ever worked at has never been like a check in at nine, about it, five, you have to be here every single day. And in fact, there's often been a lot of flexibility in my workday when I need to pop out to a doctor's appointment and when I need to like take a day off and when I need to do different things. And that flexibility goes both ways, right? Like sometimes there are times where it has to bleed into my sort of like life side of things. Um, and that's okay because it, it sort of allows me to juggle it on both sides most days. So in terms of juggling it on both sides, to be a dynamic creative and to lead a big department and also to be a satisfied human, you need to have time off to be inspired and to just be yourself. So as you're juggling all these things, mom and chief creative officer and wife and friend, are, are you... Are you able to do that? What do you do? How do you how do you carve out time for yourself? Do you? Um, <laughs> not a ton. Um, I'm getting better at it. I am an excellent professional vacationer. I'm very good at vacations. Like when I vacation, I go deep. I can find an amazing hotel. I totally unplug. I have made a practice for years of turning off my um, emails when I'm on vacation. If you need me, if something is burning, text me because I'm not looking at my emails. So I, I find moments like that to really like totally disconnect and find places of inspiration. Um, my husband and I have a practice of weekly date nights, which is both for us, but it's also like, that's the way we discover things. It's where we go, you know, we go to see movies and we go to new restaurants. And so like, that's kind of like a source of inspiration that 
Um, I don't overlook that often. And the other thing that I've discovered about myself, I turned 40 this year and I always wanted to be the person who, and like ever since I was probably in my twenties, you know, I wanted you to believe that I loved a good documentary and I loved a good leadership book. And I have just come to terms with the fact that some of the ways that I unplug is like a really trashy novel and a garbage sitcom. And like, sometimes that's just what I need for my brain to sort of like loosen up and be in other places. And so I think some of it's just, I'm coming into into some knowledge about myself that might give me more inspiration or less. I don't know. You're not, you're not apologizing. You said something (laughs) that I just want to go back to for a second. So as a, as a leader, it is easier for you, probably harder because you're getting more important emails, but easier because you have a lot of people to support you if you want to unplug and say, I'm not checking emails when I'm on vacation. People that are still, you know, coming up in their career may not feel, especially now in this like always on situation, that they have the ability to do that. What do you, I'm curious, what do you say as a leader about that? And what would you say to somebody that doesn't work for such an empathetic person as you if they wanted to be able to do that as well? So I will say, and this is probably a little bit more specific to women, but first, um, I would say when you go on a vacation or when you take PTO, the act of actually turning off your email and saying, I'm unavailable unless you text me is a gift to your entire team. It's very clear that you're not available. They don't wait for you to respond to things. And I mean that both as like a doer or a manager. And I think if you set up that boundary, I, I believe anyone can do it. And I believe anyone should do it. Um, I would also say, I have seen a lot of women who have come up in this industry and they want to have kids. They want to be a mom someday. And they don't believe that they can do it in this industry because they they don't see any boundaries. When they want to take that yoga class, they suddenly have to take a client call. When they want to you know, go walk their dog, suddenly something's more important. And I would say, start practicing your boundaries early so that you can believe that you can be in this industry and do both and whatever your both is. So declare that you're going to treat your dog like you would treat a kid. Declare that you're going to protect your yoga class like you would protect school pickup because it will teach you ways of protecting your boundaries. And I think it will teach you that if you find the right organization, the right leaders, the right managers, and the right way to talk about it, that you can do both in this industry. So I say do it early, do it often. I think that's amazing advice. And you also mentioned something else that I think is important. Sometimes as a working mom, people could almost resent that because it's like, oh, well, she has to leave to go to the pediatrician with her kid. So I have to take it. Why is my time any less important? And I remember years ago, I interviewed Nancy Hill, who at the time, you know, is an amazing woman and at the is a consultant at the time she was the head of the four A's. And she said, I got a dog. She doesn't have children, but she has a very full life. And she said, I got a dog because I felt I needed something <laughs> besides wanting a dog. I felt, I felt I needed something. You know, I would be remiss if I don't ask you about one other thing that we didn't get to, which is you wrote the most read op-ed in campaign us of 2023. And it was all along, you know, your, your directness is so refreshing because it comes from such a real place. And that's what this op-ed was about. It was about giving direct feedback 
in a, I believe, a kind way. Can you tell us about that op-ed and and what um what came out of it that might be useful for all of us? Yeah. Um, about a year ago, um, the one show asked me to come and speak at their creative leaders retreat. And their brief is very broad. It's just like, what would you want to know when you were a young leader growing up? And I knew that everybody would cover a lot of different things, like how to be inspired or like how to create better work. Um, and I started from a really functional place of what do I wish I would have known sooner? And what do I wish the leaders on our team would know better? And that was just how to give feedback. I think sometimes we get really nervous that if we give feedback, that we're going to hurt people's feelings, or we've all the managers who don't give the feedback and then they let a lot of ideas sort of swirl out there, or they let you not get better. And it's actually worse for everyone. Um, and so I wrote this presentation called How to Give Feedback Without Being an Asshole. And uh, the general premise was based on a lot of things that I'd read over the years. And it was that if you connect, if you connect with the people that you lead and have really good, really honest um, connections to them as people, first and foremost, then if you layer onto that really direct feedback that only comes from a place of, I want you to succeed and I want you to be better, that the work will get better, your relationships will get better, your teams will get stronger. Um, I sort of mapped it out in a couple of different steps and, and key things that I've seen along the way. And so I gave it. And then they asked me to give it a second time at the leaders retreat. And then someone from Pinterest was there and she asked me to come and speak and give the same talk to her creative team. And then I wrote about it in campaign. Um, and then Bose actually asked me to come and give it to their entire eight their entire company. Um, and it's just been wild because I think that the hunger for that just speaks to the fact that it's something a lot of us struggle with. This idea of wanting to make the work better, wanting to make your team better, wanting to make people better, but not being sure how to broach that topic and often not broaching it at all is actually the worst thing you can do as a leader. And so um, it's been an amazing ride. And there's a there's a theme I'm hearing, which I think is so important, which is speak your mind, be yourself and tell people what your expectations are and what they can expect from you. Right? A thousand percent. And I think with the underpinning of being connected as people, I think that's always where I've led from is like care about the people that you lead as people first and then the work. Because once you have a really strong foundation, you can give really direct feedback. And it, it feels like a gift because it is coming from a place of wanting them to succeed or it's coming from a place of wanting your whole department to succeed versus I think a lot of leaders, um, they start with the work. And that's fine. It works for some leaders. But for me, for the agency that you know I am in and for what we have built, it had to start with the people. and. That's kind of one of those moments where, you know, I question myself, like, is that the right thing to do? I didn't see any male leaders who started with the people necessarily and then went to the work. Or I didn't see any male leaders necessarily who showed up at that creative leaders retreat and talked about the people and the connections and the relationships and the empathy part of it. So in all of those moments, I question if I'm doing it right. But I think I just have to keep reminding myself that I'm doing it my way um, and trust my gut. Trust your gut. Well, it's working for you. And just <laughs> as a final question in that same vein, do you have one piece of advice that has really helped you through your life and your career that you can share with us? Um, you know, I've often had young people ask me for one piece of advice. And for me, I always break it down to just want to be great. 
want, want, like wake up every morning finding a hunger to be great. And if you wake up and you don't have that hunger, figure out what you need to stoke that in you, to want to be excellent. And maybe that's a, a piece of inspiration outside of you. And sometimes maybe that's a new agency or a new job or whatever, but like find yourself in an environment where you want to be great. And I think it all falls into place after that. That feels like a perfect place to end. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks, Katie.